a lieutenant, private, and a lovely young lady were on a train ride, seated next to each other. When they went through a tunnel and it became totally dark, there was the sound of a passionate kiss and then a slap. When they came into the light, the lieutenant's face was red, and he thought to himself that Private must have kissed that girl. She thought it was me, and she slapped me. The girl thought the lieutenant must have planned to kiss me, but kissed the Private instead, and he hit him. The Private thought, only in America... Can you kiss the back of your hand, slap a lieutenant, and get away with it? What a country. Well, I think most of us would agree, what a country. And America has been a blessed nation because of our relationship with God. Our forefathers recognized that. President John Quincy Adams said, No book in the world deserves to be so unceasingly studied and so profoundly meditated upon as the Bible. He understood that the wisdom of this nation rested in the Word of God. President Franklin Roosevelt prayed as American soldiers stormed the beaches of Normandy, Almighty God, with thy blessing we shall prevail over the unholy forces of our enemy. He recognized that ultimate victory comes from God. That the power that is necessary for us to prevail must rest in God. President Gerald Ford wrote, Without God there could be no American form of government nor an American way of life. Ladies and gentlemen, the fact is our forefathers understood our dependence upon God. That is even reflected on our buildings in Washington. The House of Representatives has an image of Moses carrying the Ten Commandments. You will find Scripture verses all over the buildings in Washington. We have been indeed blessed with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Already this morning it has been mentioned the freedom that we enjoy, the freedom of speech, the freedom of assembly, the freedom of worship, the freedoms that you and I enjoy today are blessings from God. We have been prospered. America is a unique country because of the blessings of God. But I have to be candid with you today and say that I am concerned about the future of America. Take your Bibles, please. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothals, your following after me in the wilderness. Through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first of his harvest. All who ate of it became guilty. Evil came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice did your fathers find in me? 
that they went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty. And they did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and deep darkness, through a land that no one crossed and where no man dwelt. And I brought you into the fruitful land to eat its fruit and its good things, but you came and defiled my land and my inheritance. You made an abomination. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that did not profit. I have been praying this week that perhaps in our churches today across America, the Lord would ignite the fires of revival. And ladies and gentlemen, if our country is going to be changed... It is going to be changed from the inside out. If there is going to be a change in our nation, then it is going to have to be a spiritual change. And so that has been my prayer. Now, as we look at these verses, and I want you to study them with me today. As we look at this, he begins with a remembrance of faithfulness, because one cannot understand the present until one remembers the past. And so as Jeremiah here is speaking to the nation of Israel, he reminds them of their past. First of all, he reminds them of their faithfulness to God. Look at verse number 2. Go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothals, your following after me, In the wilderness, Jeremiah said, do you remember as a youth when you were faithful to God? And as the Lord here mentions the devotion of your youth, it seems to me that there is always a greater passion, a greater devotion, a greater idealism when we are young. And that was true concerning Israel. Israel, in their youth, had been devoted to God regardless as to the consequences of their devotion. When Pharaoh said that all the male Hebrew children were to be killed, the Bible says in Exodus 1.17, But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. The decree had gone out from the government, the decree had gone out from Pharaoh that all the male children were to be killed. But the Bible says that the midwives were more concerned about pleasing God than they were in pleasing Pharaoh, regardless as to the cost. So I see that devotion in Israel during the early days of the country. Folks, when I go back and read about the history of this nation... We were devoted to God in our youth. In 1776, 11 of 13 colonies required that a person running for office must be a Christian to be eligible to do so. In 1777, the Continental Congress voted to spend $300,000 to purchase Bibles for distribution. Congress approved $300,000 to purchase Bibles to distribute. 
The Liberty Bell has a portion of Leviticus 25.10 inscribed on it. These words proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. This country was founded by persons devoted to God, and in our youth we were devoted to God. He mentions the love of betrothals. Historically, we have understood our country based upon a relationship to God. Our Constitution was born out of a belief in God. You are all familiar with the meeting of the Constitutional Convention where they labored over the Constitution. They debated the elements of the Constitution. They prayed seeking God. And it was there that Benjamin Franklin declared, God governs in the affairs of men, and if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid. There in the Constitutional Convention, as they struggle with this document that we so revere today, they sought the Lord because of their belief in God. Our laws have been inspired by the Word of God. I'm always somewhat perplexed when I hear someone make the statement, well, you can't legislate morality. And I think, well, what do you legislate? Immorality? That doesn't make any sense to me. You can't legislate morality. We have always legislated morality. The only question is, whose morality will we legislate? You see, our laws have been founded in the Word of God. When we give the Pledge of Allegiance, so far, we still say, one nation under God. And on our currency is inscribed the words, in God we trust. We've always understood our country in terms of a relationship with God. And then he mentions, you have followed me in the wilderness. In other words, in tough times, we have looked to God. Israel looked to God in tough times. We have looked to God in tough times. President Wilson was going through a period when he was facing difficult international negotiations. And so he called together his cabinet, and as they came together, the president said, I don't know whether you men believe in prayer or not. I do. Let us pray and ask the help of God. And they did. When there have been difficult times in our country, we have sought the Lord. I was watching on television not long ago the dedication of the Billy Graham Library. And President Bush 41 was speaking, and he mentioned that before they went to Desert Storm, the, the operation against Desert Storm, that he had called Billy Graham. Billy Graham had spent the night, and how they had sought the Lord together before those soldiers went into harm's way. We have always sought the Lord in difficult times. Our leaders have sought the Lord in difficult times. So Jeremiah is saying here, in your youth you were faithful to God. That's what he says to Israel. And that's what I would contend concerning America. In your youth you were faithful to God. And then he says, and God was faithful to you. Look at verse number 3. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first of his harvest. All who ate of it became guilty. Evil came upon them, declares the Lord. 
What he's saying there is that God has been faithful to you. You were faithful to God in your youth and God has been faithful to you. He says you are holy to the Lord. That's the way that God saw Israel. You are holy to me. You have been set apart to me. And that's what Peter said about believers when he wrote, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Holy to God. Do you see yourself as being holy to God? That's what God said about Israel. That's what Peter said about believers. You're holy to God. He goes on and says, And God has faithfully provided for and protected His people. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 11 says, Behold, all those who are angered at you will be shamed and dishonored. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. The promise of God to Israel is that he would protect them, and he always did. In fact, I don't think you can explain Israel today apart from God. He's protected them. When they came to the Red Sea, the Red Sea in front of them, the Egyptian army behind them, they looked to God and the waters parted. They went across on dry land. God protected them. He did. And I believe that if we as Americans look back on our history, we have to see those places where we, we must say that God protected us. God was gracious to us. He protected us. So he begins here with the remembrance of faithfulness. And Jeremiah saying to the nation of Israel, in your youth you were faithful to God and God was faithful to you. But then a strange thing happened. There was a rejection of righteousness. So Jeremiah asked, why? He said, in your youth you were faithful to God, but now then you have rejected God. So he asked the question, why? Why would you turn away from God? Was it because God was unjust? In verse number 5, thus says the Lord, what injustice did your fathers find in me? That they went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty. Was God unjust to Israel? No, the Lord had loved them. He provided manna for them when they were hungry, water for them when they were thirsty, miracles for them when they were threatened. Was God unjust with them? No, the Lord had blessed them. Well, then why is it that we as a country have turned away from God? Is it that God has been unjust with us? No, the Lord has loved us. He has blessed us. Well, then was it that God was unfaithful in verse number 6? And they did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of deep darkness, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt? Had he been unfaithful to Israel? No, the Lord had provided for them wherever they went. When they were in Egyptian bondage, they began to cry out to the Lord, asking God for deliverance. And you know the story. How the Lord met with Moses and said, I've heard the cry of my people. And Moses, you're the one who is going to lead them out of bondage. Had God been unfaithful to them? No, the Lord had been very faithful to them. Well, has the Lord been unfaithful to us? Why, as a, as a country faithful to God in our youth, why would we turn away from God? Is it because He's unfaithful? I think that you and I would declare, no, not at all. He's been very faithful. Well, is it then that He was unworthy? Verse number 8. 
The priest did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that did not profit. Oh, God was worthy. God is worthy. But he was rejected. The priests, they didn't seek the Lord. Folks, you know the tragedy of our day. And you know all the historic references to the reason America has been a great nation is because the, the pulpits were aflame with the Word of God. But the truth is today there are so many churches where they no longer seek the Lord. They no longer believe the Word of God. We've replaced theology with therapy. We look to treatment rather than the cross. We see ourselves not as sinners, but as victims. And we have replaced dying to self with self-esteem. I'm fearful that much of where we are spiritually in this country has to be placed at the foot of the pulpit. Because we stop believing in the Word of God and preaching the Word of God. Lest we offend someone. Or lest we not be politically correct. The priest didn't seek me, he says. He continues, and those who handle the law did not know me. Those who make the laws have rejected the one who gave the law. He continues in verse number 8, the rulers also have transgressed against me. He says that our rulers no longer seek God, they seek human wisdom instead. So you know the conclusion of God here? Look at verse number 13, I'll show you. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. He said, we have rejected the living water for broken cisterns. So there is a rejection of righteousness. Is it because God is unjust? Is it because he's unfaithful? Is it because he's unworthy? That was the question that Jeremiah was asking. In your youth, you followed after God. You were faithful to God. You were devoted to God. God was faithful to you. But now you've turned away from God. Why? Why? And so then there's a reproof of godlessness. In verse 19, your own wickedness will correct you. And Jeremiah begins to lay out the reproof. He says that sin's stain cannot be hidden. Look at verse 22. Although you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your iniquity is before me, declares the Lord God. Isn't it amazing that man has always thought he could hide his sins from God? Even going back to the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve had sinned and they covered themselves with leaves trying to hide their sin from God, the Bible says that it's impossible that sacrifices can't hide our sin. Hebrews 10.4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The sacrifices that have been offered cannot cover our sin, cannot hide our sin from God. He says that religion can't hide our sin, and that was Paul's struggle in Romans chapter 7. There Paul is struggling, and he says, Oh, those, those things I want to do, I don't do. Those things I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? 
The point that he's making is that Paul was a religious person before he came to know Jesus, but he is saying that religion can't hide my sin. Religion cannot deal with my sin. Our personal goodness cannot hide our sin from God. Isaiah said that our, our, our best work, our righteousnesses, are as filthy rags in the sight of God. And so we might dress up, we might look nice on Sunday morning, we might do some good deeds, we might do all of these things, but the Bible tells us that the best of our righteousness as, is as filthy rags in the sight of God. So he says that sin's stain cannot be hidden. The love of sin cannot be denied. Look at verse 23. How can you say, I am not defiled, I have not gone after the bales? Look at your way in the valley. Know what you have done. You are a swift young camel entangling her ways, a wild donkey accustomed to the wilderness that sniffs the wind in her passion in the time of her heat who can turn her away. All who seek her will not become weary. What a graphic picture of sinful man. We love sin. I'm always perplexed by Adam and Eve because of the notion that if we give someone a better life, a better environment or whatever, that then they will follow after the Lord and they will do right. And yet when I look in the Garden of Eden at Adam and Eve, I see that they were in a perfect environment. They had a perfect relationship with each other and God and so forth. And yet they still disobeyed the Lord going after sin. You and I also hear the siren song of sin sung in our ears and have to confess, do we not? That we leave the things of God to go after the things that God hates. The love of sin cannot be denied. The shame of sin cannot be covered in verse number 26. As the thief is shamed when he is discovered, so the house of Israel is shamed. They, their kings, their princes, and their priests, and their prophets. Jeremiah begins to list the sins that shamed Israel. He said, you are shamed by your sins. And then he lists them. Idolatry, verse number 27, who say to a tree, you are my father, and to a stone, you gave me birth. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, Arise and, and save us. Israel made idols from wood and stone. And then they bowed down to worship what they had created. You think of the idols of Americans. Power. We bow down at the altar of power and worship it. Celebrity. I'm amazed. Are you? I am amazed at our fascination with celebrity. Did you know Paris Hilton just got out of jail? <laughs> I mean, it's on every channel. And I think, for heaven's sake, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and we're all concerned about whether or not Paris Hilton got out of jail. But we worship at the altar of celebrity. Money, education, we bow down before them. We forgot God, verse number 32. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. 
largely we have forgotten about God in this country. And if there's any remnant left, then we want to remove it. Remove God from the public square. Let's don't bring him into it. Remove God from the education system. Let's don't bring him into it. We're open-minded, but let's don't bring God into it. And so we have forgotten God, and it's shameful. Innocence is attacked in verse number 34. Also in your skirts is found the lifeblood of the innocent poor. You know what happens? When our innocence dies, we attack innocence in others. The innocent poor, because they remind us of our greed. The innocent unborn, because they remind us of our selfishness. The innocent Lord, because he reminds us of our imperfection. There's a reproof of godlessness. But then there's a call to return to holiness, and that's what I said I'm praying for. God calls us to return. You'll notice in chapter 3, verse number 12, Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. Verse number 14, Return, O faithless sons, declares the Lord. Verse number 22, Return, O faithless son, I will heal your faithfulness, faithlessness. God is saying to Israel, in your youth, you were devoted to me. You were faithful to me. I was faithful to you. You have left me. Return. God says that to the church, and that's what we see in Revelation chapter 3, verse number 20. As Jesus is standing outside the door of the church, knocking on the door, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice, open the door. I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me. A call to return. It's my prayer that he is calling and my belief that he is calling America to return, but there must be confession in chapter 3, verse number 13. Only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against the Lord your God, have scattered your favors in the, in, to the strangers under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. He says we must confess that we have transgressed, we have scattered our favors. In other words, we have squandered our heritage, we have not obeyed. And, but if we return, there's a promise of forgiveness. We see God's grace, chapter 3, verse number 12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and, say, and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord, and I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious, declares the Lord. He is a God of grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Restoration, chapter 3, verse number 14. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. Then he'll give us godly leaders, chapter 3, verse 15. Then I'll give you shepherds after my own heart. You know, we really do get what we deserve. Do you know that? We get so upset with our leaders, we elected them. We get what we deserve. But I believe that if we return to God, we get godly leaders. We get healing, chapter 3, verse number 22, and salvation, chapter 3, verse number 23. Surely the hills are a deception, a tumult on the mountain. Surely in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. It was President Thomas Jefferson who said, I tremble for my country. When I reflect that God is just, 
and that his justice cannot sleep forever. I pray that God might send revival because our country desperately needs it. But I believe if revival comes, it will come in the churches and it begins with individuals. Not a mass movement of God, but individuals whose lives have been changed. But we cannot always criticize the things we don't like. We must let God change us. And that's what I'm asking you today. Would you let God do a work in your heart? Father, we come to a time of invitation. And I pray, Lord, for the move of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that individually you might touch us, examine our hearts, that we might get honest with you and might be committed to you. I pray for those who are without Christ that they might be saved. I pray, Lord, for those who need a church family that they would feel welcome here. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please. And as we stand together, the choir is going to sing a hymn of invitation. If you're here today and would commit your life to Jesus as Lord, I'm asking you to come. The staff will be here to pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. I pray that you'll come. But as they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.